we need to do is a health sound check because it's very important for the sound quality of this podcast that we do a sound check. So can you initiate the sound check, please? I already have. I've already got the, your uh, supercilious and condescending parody of me <laughs> <laughs> on record. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 335 of the Crate and Crowbar, a PC gaming podcast recorded on the 6th of August 2020. I'm Marsh Davis. I'm joined this evening by Tom Francis. Hello. And Alex Wiltshire. Hello. Alex, I believe you have some news for us. <laughs> I wouldn't call this news, <laughs> but it's it's good though. Um, so I, I did see, and it's quite likely that uh, most of our listeners will also have seen this, but it was just so good. Um, earlier this week, um, Dana Schwartz, a writer of TV, books and comics, and of podcasts. Does one write a podcast? Perhaps good podcasters <laughs> <Can> do. do. <laughs> um, <laughs> noticed uh, someone on Reddit uh, pointing out that um, that a an author by the name of John Boyne, who's written quite a serious science fiction book called The Traveller at the Gates of Wisdom, uh, um, and wrote um, a passage in it in which one of uh, his characters uh, cooked something with uh, um, Zelda Breath of the Wild in um, ingredients. Um, they were making red dye, weren't they? Oh, that's what it was. The dye was it? Oh, that's right. The dyes are used in my dressmaking with composed of various ingredients. Uh, uh, nightshade, okay. Sapphire, uh, it's mineral, but okay. Um, <laughs> Keyswing, uh, the leaves of the silent princess plant. Oxarock eyeball. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> Hightail wizard. And then it finished it off. This is almost like as if it was planned because it's like the punchline and four Hylian shrooms. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Um, everyone was laughing at him and to his credit, to his great credit, uh, his response was, John Boyne's response was, lol, that is actually kind of hilarious. I'm totally willing to own it. Something tells me this. I'm telling this anecdote on stage for many years to come, uh, crying, laughing emoji. So yeah, that Did was you see <laughs> that, um, uh, an Irish newspaper that reviewed his book had, uh, try to give him even more credit than he deserves and uh, try to read this as they said something to the effect of like Boynes is not restricted by simple historical recreation taking uh using ingredients from Legend of Zelda in one of the recipes and then cites another <laughs> bunch of like anachronisms where he things from other time periods were used that didn't make any sense as if it was like a really bold artistic choice to do this <laughs> no he just googled the recipe and if you google like red dye ingredients that the top result is from zelda and it's that list of stuff <laughs> so good yeah take that the world from games <laughs> i just wonder why I mean, wouldn't you just wonder what those things are it's like, yeah i mean shrooms. they don't sound real yeah. <laughs> where is hylia maybe you looked that up too and thought oh okay fair I mean, enough i think for me the red flag would be the eyeball like the what <laughs> yeah. eyeball do you not google are you not just curious for your own reasons like what, what kind of eyeball is this <laughs> that's red well, uh, i mean for a long time red dye was made out of crushed beetles so mm. i mean it's it's uh it's it's not that I mean, no, okay, it's completely indefensible, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave the news there. Let's leave the news there. Uh, what have you been playing, Alex? 
Oh Lord. Okay. Uh, well, um, I've been playing. <laughs> I've been playing a game um, that Tom has also been playing. Um, but maybe I'll maybe I'll mention that at the end, and then Tom and I can go into that. Um, so I'll first talk about Grounded, Obsidian's new game, um, where you are very small. Um, it's a surprise. That, like I hadn't really. Uh, taken on board what kind of a game it is. I downloaded it thinking, oh, people are talking about it and I like the screenshots. Um, I didn't really realize that it was a survival game. It's an online survival game, like all of the games, like quite a lot of the games. <laughs> which I was sort of like, oh, I thought it'd be you know, Obsidian, you know, story and whatnot, RPG. Uh, but no, this is a survival game in which you are a sort of a young teenager who um, has found themselves... Well, it's it's an early access game. So in fact, you, you find yourself just playing without any real understanding of why you're there or how you got to be very small in someone's backyard. Um, <laughs> and uh, you uh, start, you just abruptly start having chosen your avatar uh, sort of on this sort of muddy path beneath the shelter of a lot of um, um, blades of grass and leaves and whatnot. Um, I haven't played an awful lot of it, but I've really enjoyed what I've played so far. I've only played on my own, um, but uh, and I'm not all that hot on survival games. I find them a bit stressful and getting in the way of what I like about what it could be, which is being able to freely walk about and explore and things. I get annoyed with getting hungry and things. But there's something about the setting. I'm sure there's other things going on as well that make me like it, but um, what's obvious is that um, the fact that it's just the scale is just fascinating. Like I was really, you know, I loved um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids when I was little. Like, you know, I think there's something to that fantasy of being really small in a familiar environment um, and seeing these sort of wondrous things that you either don't notice or you take for granted at a, like a, a totally different scale. Um, playing a game like that, um, that looks so good. Um, it was really, I just really, really enjoyed it. Um, one of the early things that I um, sort of came face to face with is with ants, and these ants um, behave in such an ant-like manner. Um, they kind of scuttle. The, I think there's something quite good about the choice of setting uh, for a game like this because, like, insects are weird in the way that they move, and they're quite. Um, they're quite mechanical seeming, um, which fits quite nicely with the way games do animal, you know, movements. You know, they can kind of flock and wander around and things, and it kind of looks fairly sort of ant-like anyway. But they also they they kind of there seems to be quite a lot more going on with the ants. They kind of seem to show curiosity. They come up to you and investigate you a little bit. They also sort of. Um, move together a lot, they'll go in lines, or they're obviously social in the way that their uh, behavior is programmed. Um, um, and they, they just look good, like the it's using Unreal Engine, and therefore it looks just nice, like materials look very um, uh, shiny and physical and, and um, tangible. Um, so that, I, that was a really sort of early, nice little thing I noticed. Um, the fact that you can also, um, it. So this is a game in which um, it, you know, being Obsidian, they've put a lot, quite a lot of storyline into it. 
So not far from the, the point that you start the game, you'll stumble across this great big um, weird science device, which isn't working properly. It's got like a circuit board inside it and you can get inside through a hole in the side of this thing. Um, and there's obviously a problem with it and little tooltips telling you what to do roughly, you know, investigate the thing. Uh, and uh, and uh, before long, basically there are these, you know, you manage to switch it on by pressing these big buttons on the top of it. And um, lasers start um, kind of start firing into points on this thing. And two of these lasers aren't working properly. And then this is a point at which you follow the laser back and you can see um, with a depth of field attack, uh, a depth of field effect, uh, these um, uh, apparatus, huge to you, great big apparatuses uh, standing a little bit further away in the distance, um, far, far, far above you, um, above the level of the grass and the uh, bits of um, vegetation that you're under. Um, and, you know, you have landmarks to go for which are really naturalized because you're really small and they're really big and you just walk towards them later on there's an even bigger landmark that um that you'll you'll make your way to uh and you know it was a way of navigating that was incredibly um you know made huge amounts of sense felt really naturalistic and and that was just a really nice thing that um that was afforded by the scale um Another nice thing about it is that um, you know that there is a thirst system in it as well as a fungal one, um, and the thirst system. There are these pools of water all over the place, but it's muddy. And when you go over them, the um, the kind of like the prompt comes up and it says, "Drink it," with kind of an ellipsis after it, and to suggest that maybe you shouldn't, because if you do, <laughs> your character remarks, "Oh, you know." Oh, I suppose I need the water. The least I'll get is botulism, and but, and <laughs> and and uh, indeed, your health ticks down when you use you drink this dirty water. So for a while, I was wondering how do you find clean water? And luckily, the kind of rudimentary um, uh, uh, tutorial that's going on points it out, and um, uh, you get it from dew. And the, the you look up, and some blades of grass have uh, droplets of water um, on uh, hanging from the top of them. And, you know, then you figure out, well, I'll just chop down the grass with my um, with <laughs> my crafted axe, which you do like the first strike, the, the, the droplet falls down and then its surface tension sort of keeps it in a, in a globe of a globule of water and it bounces down a hill and you're kind of running after it. And <laughs> it's just... A, that was I wasn't did not foresee that being part of the um, the survival system, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll definitely take that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really curious about how you get a disease from dirty water when the size differential is like that. Like, do you get the same disease you would if you drank it as a full size human, or like if you're small <laughs> enough, the disease would be like out of scale with your body, and I feel like it wouldn't yeah. affect. Well, maybe it does even more damage. It's actually sort of the same yeah. size. You can see. I'm sorry, sorry. You've got big virus. <laughs> big botulism. <laughs> um, the other, th the other thing, like the, the enemies um, are things like uh, soldier ants. So I've been down into an ant burrow and been attacked by red ants with 
which are larger than the ones you just generally see wandering around that sort of seem curious and friendly. Um, these ones are larger and their eyes glow and they come after you. Um, I've died to them a few times. I've also died to spiders. Um, and yeah. the spiders are basically, there's been a lot, you know, people are scared of spiders. This game has an arachnophobia safe mode. <laughs> And when you, um, you, so in the settings, there's a slider for how scary the spiders are. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, they start basically the, the, like, far, you know, when it all, all the way to the left, it's full spider. Um, but um, <laughs> after you start twinking it, uh, the legs are the first thing to go. So you're left with just the, the, the legless body hovering terrifyingly <laughs> on, on the ground. <laughs> Is that better? Yeah, that seems yeah, it seems worse in some ways. <laughs> now I, the spiders people can fly. do talk about people do talk about um, the spider the legs being a, a definite downer. But if you, <laughs> you keep sliding it, uh, it starts losing its um, texture, so you don't get the glossy texture. Um, but you still get the oh, you right. know the eyes are still there. Keep going further, um, you end up with basically like a, a blob, <laughs> a floating blob, <laughs> a floating grey um, uh, sort of blob that doesn't shine. This does raise a very cursed question, which is like, what is the opposite of a spider? <laughs> if the spider slider is all the way to the other end, what what should you get? I feel yeah, like a rabbit. lemon. <laughs> <laughs> Just a nice, wow. glossy, shiny, full-size lemon rolling around on the ground. <laughs> jumping at you and killing you in just a couple of lemon yeah. lemony bites <laughs> lemony nudges <laughs> lemony nudges a series what of unfortunate nudges <laughs> <laughs> what if you're phobic of lemons and spiders there's really nowhere for you you've to go you've got to put it exactly in the middle <laughs> but then half you get the worst spider yeah that's the worst oh my god <laughs> lemon with spider legs <laughs> and both are glossy despite i'm not really afraid of spiders irl but these ones are they are horrible they are they are they come <laughs> after you there's they really really do hunt you down as well and i've yeah, died to them quite a few times but yeah like it's really promising um marty am i right that you've played a little bit on the line yeah i did play a bit with um a friend of podcast jim rossignol i have to say I liked a lot about it, but I I have uninstalled it. I like, I just, I don't want to ever play a game with crafting in it ever again. Mm. Is my feeling, mm. and like, like, that's a lot of games. I don't know. Yeah, but it's uh, it's also a particular type of crafting game where really what you have to do is Alt Tab and Google, and then uh, right. figure out what you need to do, and then I think a lot of it's UI problem. Like, yeah, because um, I, I mean, I haven't had any problems with the crafting. I mean, you know, I haven't had to alt tab. Like, it, the information has been there, but it took me such a long time to figure out that, you know, you've got one set of crafting things on one tab, and then you've got to go across to another one to do another one. So you'll go to one tab and then realize, then it's saying, oh, you need such and such and such. That is on another tab. So you've got to tab over to that one. Like, I don't know, there's an element of, just needless work and needless obfuscation obfuscation there i feel like why not if you've Mm. got the ingredients just just do it i I, you know as much as you know minecraft does do it better in the way that you know the crafting table is a well i suppose this does have a crafting table in it it needs another slider for me so you can slide what's the opposite of crafting (laughs) 
having a butler come along and just give you everything you want. <laughs> craft butler. <laughs> craft services. <laughs> that slider idea doesn't seem actually unfeasible. Like you could, the crafting complexity just sort of, you could just mark certain steps of it as like, rather than having to craft A to get B to get C, you just go from straight A to C. Yeah, I think, I think, but the thing is like, in these sorts of games, the crafting system is everything that drives you through the world. And you realize that there isn't an awful lot to motivate you to do a huge amount if you didn't have the yeah. will to kind of find stuff. I mean, this one does have story. Um, there is a location I went to in which I had a conversation um, with a robot called uh, Berg Burgle, Burgle, the robot, <laughs> an amusing robot. Um, and, you know, that it's obsidian and there was multiple choicey bits and things um so that like they're definitely oh. leaning on story than most most crafting survivally games um so like maybe maybe you there's a slider between story and crafting and you can kind of <laughs> your motivation goes from having an amusing anecdotes by a robot to um to, to making stuff out of leaves i want to be narratively coddled by a lemon that's all i want from games <laughs> <laughs> I think I was going to say it was the opposite of story is also a lemon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's really early days though. It's like, it's quite rough. Mm. Um, I, I believe actually, well, I mean, I've, I've, I believe that it's quite, a, I mean, did you find it a bit of a faff to, to join Jim online? Yeah. Yeah. The, the matchmaking stuff isn't, uh, isn't finessed yet. Let's say. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's true for a lot of it, but um it's got nice ants in it, so I'll give it ten out of ten. Yeah, really good ants. <laughs> I've got to say, all, all the all the um, the ways that they've made uh, lower insect life cute is is quite impressive. Yeah, like I think there's like what are they? There's some kind of dirt mite or something quite unglamorous. Yeah, but they make all the, they they scamper around. They look oh, they're, they're, they're adorable. Fluffy. They're all fluffy. Yeah, make cute little noises squirkly noises then you kill it and you make a hat then... out of its out of its carapace yeah yeah there is that <laughs> <laughs> is it um in some of the screenshots and stuff i've seen it at times it looks kind of a little bit ugly because like a nice grass lawn looks nice from our perspective but once you get down to it it's basically mud with some like really yeah. uh, uh separated blades um and I was curious if that's how it looks like all the time or if it has pretty stuff as well. More or less. Um, like, yes, it's you've got muddy ground all the time, um, pretty much. And they're with the odd sort of sporadic um, little leaf, little green leaf poking through, which you can pick up. Um, my impression playing it, I wasn't really focusing on it because there's so much going on. There's There's there is a density to the stuff around you, which you don't normally get in um, survival games. You know, most survival games, they'll have forest areas, but a lot of the time you're in plains areas and with mountains in the distance and things and walking from place to place usually isn't that feature filled. But in this one, you know, you're constantly in in this sort of forest environment effectively, which does change as well. And you'll come across these huge landmarks, which are, you know, drinks bottles, um, uh, a, a kind of like um, mints packet, like a little plastic mints box that you can get open and then you can craft something to chip away at the mints to, to eat it. How did you open <laughs> it? Um, I hit it 
<laughs> he's got a plastic <laughs> he's got a plastic Video lid game. and I just I just hit it. But it sort of like sprung open, but then I need a better hammery tool to actually chip away the hard diamantine <laughs> in mint inside. Um I got inside a can and my character remarked on I've always wondered what it like to would be like to go inside a can. And I thought, yeah. <laughs> do you know what? <laughs> I think I have as well. <laughs> One of life's big mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> to guess what? It's kind of like what it looks like when you look inside the can, inside a can, but bigger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I would have expected. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, the other game uh, I played was uh, Thousand Threads, which you've yeah. been playing as well, haven't you, Tom? Yeah, um, I answered that question before you asked it. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like a, it's a, um, it's a, it's made by one person. Um, it, it's, um, I don't know. How would you describe it? An open, an open world letter delivering game with lots <laughs> of relationships in it, but kind of experimental, yeah. but also quite it ha- simplistic. It has the look of a, um, almost like a Proteus, um, Type right. game like yeah. a very lo-fi, uh, flat shaded, open world um, that is very. Uh, you're in nature, you know. The sound of birds is is a constant, and it feels nice to walk around and sort of you feel like you're out in the wilderness. But then, strangely, uh, it's about dealing with yeah, like fifty to a hundred different people <laughs> all named, and it's obviously generating some aspects of their the quests they give you and the relationships they have like yeah. a typical quest is something like um uh you ask someone how they are and they say oh i'm, I'm a bit shaken up because yesterday i was attacked on the road by uh jim francis <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, or felton then, serrano <laughs> yeah and then you go and they say you can offer <laughs> in that situation, when someone has a grudge against someone, the job is always, can you go and knock them unconscious? <laughs> that that will solve it, I think. If you just knock them unconscious and then leave them alone and they'll get back up, like that's therefore it's settled. <laughs> so if someone's been robbed, uh, you get a job to go and knock that guy unconscious. and But you don't know where that person is. And so you go and ask other people where they are. And every time you talk to anybody, you can ask them about anybody else. And there's this huge menu of, of how you can do that, um, filtered by people you have jobs about or people who like you or um, people who've seen recently um, and then you, you know, slowly you kind of narrow down where they are and then you find them and then I guess you knock them unconscious but when you do obviously that they will hate you uh, people that have relations to each other so they can you know their their mom is probably in this world if their mom sees you beat them unconscious for no reason that she can understand then she'll hate you I have wondered whether how much the gen- the names are generated the world appears to be authored like you know fixed but yeah, yeah the um i did wonder whether the names and the general relationships are, are generated there was a there was a guy uh who very early on was kind of like a crook he called felton serrano in mine and he was like everybody hated him so i was asked to punch him up quite a few times i think <laughs> you know he so i so i did um Later on, I met his mum and dad, and his his dad, when I um, interacted with the dad, uh, 
there was this like a sound uh, clip of him going oh at me as if he was really angry <laughs> with me but then but the, the dialogue i then had with him kind of didn't reflect that at all so yeah. it was like yeah, which is a shame because there's something there's a real promise in the dynamic nature of these relationships that it's kind of starting to present to you yeah like i had the similar thing where i talk to someone and they're, they're like growled and said, oh, you're the last person I want to talk to. And then I ask them how they are. And they said, oh, I'm fine. Thanks. Thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I did, that was the first time, the first time that this di- like generated relationships or systems-based relationships thing started to, to add something to the game for me was that I've been getting all these bitty jobs to like, okay, this person, find out who robbed this person. Um, please deliver this toothbrush to my daughter. Um, uh, go and get me 10 wood and that kind of stuff. And they're all just kind of one-offs. didn't really relate to anything. Nothing was coming together. But then I got a mission to, um, I think, beat up Roberta Sanders. And then I got another mission to say, oh, I was robbed by Roberta Sanders. Can you go and get my items back? And then I found mm-hmm. someone else who said, I was robbed by Roberta Sanders. Can you go yeah. and get my items back? And then somebody else said, I, I just hate Roberta Sanders. Can you beat up Roberta Sanders? And I started to realize, oh, this is a thief. There's, this person actually, like, as a career, steals stuff. And yeah. that is why so many people have a grudge against her. And that actually means something. Like, that was a cool moment of realizing, like, oh, something actually is happening here. This person has, this person is different to other people. Like, not everybody just randomly steals. There, are, there is kind of like a thief archetype, and they're going to uh, mug people. And then, yeah. and also, it's kind of cool from a, from a, just as a player to realize like, oh, I can, I can collect all these quests at once. So I just got to take out one person and I get all of this. Um, and then I think actually when I found Roberta Sanders, she was attempting to mug me. <laughs> so it's like, well, this is a morally easy decision. <laughs> I was an idiot though. Cause I, I did, um, I thought I was being clever. I think it might not have been Roberta Sanders. Some other thief I was tracking when I found them, they were in the process of mugging somebody else. And um, I knocked them unconscious and then got I got a reward for helping that person who was in trouble right then and there. Then I also got to take their the possessions back that this person had stolen. And then <laughs> I just kind of forgot what had just happened. And I was just looking at this person and think, oh, it'd be really kind of like neat and and cunning if I took stuff off them, like stole their stuff. Uh, but then there's an option to heal them as well. And I thought, I bet if I heal them, they'll like me. And I did heal them and they did. It does tell you their disposition's gone up, but I forgot that right before this, I, you know, the reason they're unconscious is I just slung rocks at their head until they passed out. And it turns <laughs> out they had not forgiven me for that. <laughs> yeah, I have wondered. There's a little smiley face, isn't there? There's, um, there are, they have like a description, demeanors descriptions, like it's all th- two or three words that kind of, that you'll see above their names in the, in there. Cause each, each person has, like a page, don't they? So you see their relationships with other people, these descriptors, their opinion of you, um, and like a, like a picture of them. Like, yeah, I, I really, like, I think that there's a, I mean, this is made by one person over the course of quite a, a while. So like, I can totally forgive that it doesn't have that laser focus on on being this open world relationships game. Um, but I would love, I would love that. Like if it was yeah. just a little bit further built out, that that meaning, you know, there was a bit more dialogue, um, a little less boilerplate stuff. Um, um, and I, what did you, what did you think of the writing in general in terms of the dialogue and, and that kind of thing? It's very uh, disparate. <laughs> there is some of it is, you know, incredibly generic, and then if you 
once you find the mailbag and you can deliver letters to people, you can open those letters and you basically might as well. There doesn't seem to be any um, drawback to doing so. And if you don't, you just miss out on on content. And those letters are all handwritten and very obviously handwritten. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, like manually authored, not generated and not boilerplate. And each one is completely unique. And they they describe these much more sophisticated relationships between these people than you've ever seen actually happening in the world. And it's nice in some ways because it's sort of, I guess you've checked that box. And so you've, you've suggested that uh, these relationships are going on. But on the other hand, it couldn't clash more with what you actually see when you talk to those people. Like I read this really kind of, um, uh, I thought actually the writing of these letters was pretty good at times. Um, there was one about someone who's obviously just had a, a single, uh, spent a single evening with somebody who they really like, and they're trying to tell them that in the letter. And if they actually read more like answer phone messages where they leave one that's kind of comes on a bit too strong and then they send another one to follow up and say, oh no, actually, oh, sorry, forget that one. Um, and then a third <laughs> one say, actually, disregard all my previous letters. I'm, I'm sorry, just forget it. Um, and that was all quite convincing. But then I went and talked to that very person and I asked them about the person they've been talking to. And they just said some generic line about, oh, they give gifts a lot. I wonder where they get those gifts. <laughs> hmm. <It's, laughs> I feel like if, if it can't, if you can't back it up uh, with anything else, then it's... Um, uh, I don't know, it almost does as much harm as, as good. Yeah. And I, the thing I eventually came to, because I've explored almost all of it now, and it's got quite a, a surprisingly robust like progression system where you can't access a certain place to upgrade your pickaxe, and you can't upgrade your pickaxe until you find a certain kind of mushroom, and then you've got to uh, get to that, a place where that mushroom grows, yeah. and all the money you're getting for these, these dynamically generated jobs, uh, you can sink into getting crafting recipes and um upgrade stuff again it's usually it's a it's an aspect that like a sort of lofty artistic or experimental dynamic narrative game usually doesn't bother with because it's that's not the the focus but it gives it a good structure and it actually pretty much plays out like a a fixed length indie game you know i spent about five hours in it and i've seen all the places now and i feel i want to be done with it i'm not it hasn't given me a good getting off point and i can tell there probably is some way to end it ultimately but it seems to me like it would just be a shitload of repeating these quests that i've seen them all now um and since it is since the value of it i think is finite and fixed i don't really see why it needed this dynamic generating quest i kind of think if each of these quest types only came up once and they specifically um attach them to you know if it's a, a quest to uh, about uh, being mugged then the, the person is always one of the few thieves in the world and uh, put some logic into that then they wouldn't and also the, the rewards you know were 10 times the value that they currently are yeah. and you just had 10 times fewer quests and each one was was unique there seems to be enough different types that you could pretty much get away with that and it would be a, maybe a shorter game with less individual quests but the, as it is the quests are so that in number they are so overwhelming you just every single person has something for you to do and yeah. it's just a throwaway generated thing of just go here do that and that you spot the pattern really fast and the dialogue is will be both repeated from the other time you got this quest and also incredibly specific so you can't even buy into it as like a oh well it's just a sort of general line that indicates a, a more specific um dialogue it's it'll be a really specific dialogue with with the sort of you know idioms and uh, unique phrasing and then someone else completely unrelated in a different part of the world will say the exact same thing to you um yeah i don't really feel like they needed that they didn't need this crazy number of quests they could have just had fewer made them unique and had it be just a fixed length thing yeah 
I thought it was also quite interesting that the later areas in the game aren't anything like as densely populated as the first or first couple of areas you're in. The first area is just, it reminded me a bit of um, uh, uh, Far Cry Primal because it's also in a <laughs> forest and it's ram filled with people. So it's this kind of incredibly kind of, um, you know, unspoilt wildernessy sort of setting in theory except for it's filled <laughs> with people and they're wandering around and there's so much to do um they're animals as well they're wolves and whatnot and rabbits and stuff um which you can hunt and things but um i um i thought it was interesting that the later areas are much more sparsely populated if if the early parts of the game were sparsely populated they would be fewer you know it would play out exactly as you and I, I agree with you like the way that you kind of talked about and that it probably would be a, a make for a better experience like i mean i'm kind mm. of grumbling about it a bit but i actually i really enjoyed it and i i played it in two sessions played it for about the same length of time as you tom and like um i was just I've, it's such a relaxing game there's something about the um the atmosphere that it has which is um, you know, as you said, that it's this sort of bird song and kind of gentle wind and, and general atmospheric effects, sporadic music, which is really gentle as well. Really lo lovely music, actually. And the visuals, yeah. these flat colors, um, some beautiful vistas it has a really good line in, in, you know, oh, what's the name of the thing where you kind of the uh, successively um, further away mountains uh, the tone of them becomes paler and paler. And so you get this sort of um, effect of kind of near nearby mountains being darker than the ones behind. There is yeah. a name of that and that it has that and it is nice. <laughs> I took a lot of screenshots. <laughs> I don't know the name. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is pretty. Um, so yeah, I played... that just really so pulled me through it. It doesn't have fast travel and it's not a huge open world, but any open world with where you're just walking and you can't do anything else is kind of, uh, intensive so the way i played it was i went to my kitchen drawer and i found a tiny metal spoon which i think is for measuring like sugar or sweetener or something like a, a, <laughs> a really tiny one and then i rested that on my w key and then i placed my phone on top of that to give it some weight <laughs> and, then sort of and then i actually uh, i played on gamepad uh so i could have the keyboard driving my forward motion uh and then use the gamepad to steer myself around because just like i, I I get that there's an artistic ambition in, in like, oh, we don't want you to just skip or teleport around this world. We want you to appreciate the distances involved and get a sense for it as a real place. And that's all well and good. But at some point, my finger just really hurts from pushing yeah. forwards. Like the <laughs> other thing I've been playing is an open world game. So I'm just pushing the left stick forwards for like, you know, three hours at a time. And uh, at some point, um, I just can't play because my finger hurts too much. So <laughs> like, if you're going to do that, just give me an auto run button. <laughs> yeah. The um, I you... I did I have I have found closure with it. I haven't finished it, but I discovered somewhere in one of the final areas where there is a there is a location and a story, like a like a, a different kind of story, a completely different kind of story. Um, um, became apparent there, and um, I made the journey that resulted of that, and I thought, yep, I've, I can finish there. Particularly as I'd noticed also in the the achievements list, there was an achievement for, and I can't remember what the number is now, like, but for something like five hundred 
letters to Villavid or something incredible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. Okay, if that if that's where we're going with this, that's where I'm, I'm going to leave it here. But I do feel closure. I did that. It was different, and I can go. What did you think about the backstory uh, bender? Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, as you're walking around the environments, there are these ruins that hint towards a uh, um, history to this place. Um, and um, you'll also find chests. And inside the chests, there are these artifacts. And sometimes you pick up um, fossils. And sooner or later, you will find something to do with all that um, in which you and you'll exchange those things for backstory um and the backstory the, the, the makers thought quite a lot about kind of what a backstory for this area is but the tone is completely different <laughs> to the to the tone you get from the characters the characters talk like 21st century sort of pe people <laughs> westerners mm. living in a wood <laughs> um but um the backstory suggests that this land has much more mystery and a strange the strange history which um nothing in the world that you exist in really reflects that's what i thought anyway yeah it was i liked the sort of vibe of the backstory um it's sort of a, a in some ways post-apocalyptic but doesn't feel like it and um there's i so i haven't found a huge number of artifacts of so i think it's my maybe it's best this way because you you just get little like little snippets of information that obviously connect to other things that you don't know yet. And yeah. I kind of like that where you just sort of think, Oh, there's, there's these gates. And then uh, I found out what the title means. There's a, a reference to that. And I, Oh, okay. Law. Oh, you have to tell um, me that afterwards. Yeah. Um, it's not terribly enlightening. It's just a sort of uh, a metaphor thing. And uh, yeah. So just the sense that there is more to discover there is nice, but yeah, it, it doesn't, feel like these people actually belong to that world or this this society that, that exists now actually did come from um these other ones that existed before which is yeah. weird because you'd think i mean we've basically identified three different styles of writing in this that all seem to clash with each other and <laughs> uh that's the exact kind of thing you expect not to be an issue when one person did it all yeah, and uh, you know the sheer number of things that are going on at any time. So you've got you know, there's a hunting system, there's a crafting system, there's a um, there's the dialogue system, there's the relationship systems, there's you know the the um, um, just the, the world development, there's the story stuff. There's so much going on. Um, I suspect I get the feeling that you know in in year towards the back end of year two. <laughs> Oh, I really wanted to. I want to redo really like a deep law to this because there's something missing, <laughs> and you know, it all just got built in these different chunks. But like, I think it's. I think for one person to, to make this, I think, you know, despite the fact that we've talked about things being seeming so disparate, the actual experience that I had playing it actually felt. I really enjoyed it. It was really um, that relaxing sense that I was talking about earlier. Yeah, just get yourself a small metal spoon and sit back and relax. <laughs> <laughs> Marty. Have you been playing anything else, Marty? I've been playing the uh, Master Chief Collection. Oh. Um, you know, uh, uh, partly inspired by the Halo Infinite trailer. Um, How many Master but... Chiefs did you get in the collection? 
Oh, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch. There's loads of Master Chiefs. All the Chiefs, Masters that Chiefs. one can have. <laughs> Masters Chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I have to say, oh, straight up, Halo Three is still a, a fucking great shooter. But um, I have to say, the Master Chief Collection has sort of made me want to walk back a little bit of my Halo Infinite apologia from <laughs> from last week. Um, because while I still think that that game looks perfectly lovely and uh, the, the reaction to it is somewhat, maybe somewhat confected by uh, internet anger merchants, my experience of simply installing the Master Chief Collection has made me wonder if 343 <laughs> Industries are actually just straight up insane, like <laughs> properly properly bunny boiling, howling at the moon, <laughs> completely mad. Um, so it's the, the Master Chief Collection is for people who aren't familiar, a repackaging of many previously released Halo games. Uh, many of them are not made by 343 Industries, who are the sort of current chaperones of the franchise. Most, most of them are by Bungie. Um, and Bungie. some of these games have been... Bungie. 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 <laughs> oh my God, this is where the podcast is going. Um, <laughs> a lot of these games have been remastered by 343 Industries um, with somewhat dubious aesthetic choices but the originals are also playable in the package too uh with several games like uh i think um odst is coming out later this month and it's going to be added to the package retrospectively and then i guess halo halo 4 or whatever um but when you buy it on steam and install it it um it downloads 35 gigabytes but the 35 gigabytes doesn't contain any games (laughs) Uh, it downloads <laughs> 35 gigabytes of something, but what it cannot be said, it cannot be uttered <laughs> to merely imagine the contents of this data stream is uh, to throw oneself fully into the abyssal <laughs> unknown. Um, it, so, so, what, so what you do is you, you open the game and you go through these menus, you start it up, you navigate through the, the menus to the part that you want to play and you hit play and uh, you're told you can't because you haven't downloaded that. Uh, which is just a UI flow that truly fucking unravels the mind. Like to play, one must first seek to be denied. You know what, what is that? I don't. There's no options in the menu to prior to that point to install anything. I remember because so anyway. I, I I had the same experience way back when it when Reach came out. So yeah, it hasn't changed. Well, I think Reach may have been in one of the only parts of the game that was installed. No way. I don't know. Well, anyway. So anyway, then it says, go to the screen that you, uh, it it offers to take you to the screen where you can select what you download. So I obviously select uh, the Halo 3 campaign, Halo 3 multiplayer, and Halo 2 multiplayer um, for me personally. And um, then it downloads a further 35 gigabytes. Um, You have to have the app running while it does this. Mm. And if you alt-tab, you can still hear the music. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's wrong that's wrong that's that's an incorrect thing to do but fine fine i can get over that and eventually it finishes it downloads seemingly much slower than it did original the original 35 gigabytes i don't know whether it's connecting to a different server or something than the normal steam download but anyway so i'm like fine okay i can finally play halo 3 so i go through to the campaign click it the content is yet to be downloaded 
would you like to manage the games you have downloaded? Why, yes, I think I fucking would, actually. So <laughs> um, for some reason, it's only downloaded Halo 2. And the download for Halo 3 is initializing, and it initializes indefinitely. It just never, ever starts. It continues to initialize for half an hour. So I look up online what I can do, and apparently you can kickstart the download by going to the Steam menu, right-clicking the game, going to Properties, the DLC, and then checking <laughs> the components that you want in there. What? But weirdly, this list has a bunch of different things checked, which I have not downloaded and do not want to download. <laughs> Anyway, checking Halo 3 eventually gets it to download another 15 gigabytes or so, and then immediately starts a 10 gigabyte patch. And like, I'm not sure that those numbers are exactly right, but they are of the same order. And I have now downloaded at least 80 or 90 gigabytes of data <laughs> for a game which on the disc has a footprint of 46 gigabytes. And to be clear, this is so I can play two games whose original size on their discs combined was no more than 14 gigabytes. 14 <laughs> gigabytes and i haven't even downloaded the single player portion of halo 2 so what the fuck is going on this isn't this is the like, true meaning of halo infinite <laughs> <laughs> it'll just be initializing forever yeah you'll never download it that's how they make it last 10 years how, <laughs> how is this a problem that any developer is having in 2020 I mean, they literally use Steam to deliver this baffling nightmare of a launcher. So, I mean, they obviously know that they can use Steam. Why not just <laughs> use that for the, everything? They've solved the problem already. Uh, anyway, I'm I'm sure there's there's you know there's reasons for why they've done. It'll it. be that because they want they want one place that they want to update, and your when you download the game, it'll be downloading directly from Microsoft servers. That'll be that'll yeah. be a, an efficiency thing, which is not efficient. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just, like that. That is that is almost certainly the reason. But I, I think it's probably a shit reason in comparison <laughs> to the idea of the game working. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, Halo's uh, is still really good. Halo Three is still really good. So it was almost worth it. Like it's it's showing its age in a bit. How like if it feels of another era, not in any kind of. Uh, way to its detriment, but just the style of shooters mm. has sort of bifurcated mm. in the time since it was released, and it's it's so single-minded uh, in its campaign of being this sort of fairly straightforward action game. And I feel like shooters of the current moment either seem to have gravitated towards like arcade purity, uh, you know, the Devil Daggers school. Um, or they've sort of become these kind of more variegated, expansively interactive games with more immersive cinematics, you know, where you, you have like a mini game where you torture somebody for a while because <laughs> shooters are really cool. And um, like Halo, aside from its like aside from its cutscenes, which are actually really brief by comparison mm. to the, today, um, it, it's it's just it's just shooting. <laughs> um and that feels kind of quaint, but it's also. But I mean, like, despite it being just shooting, it's in. It, they are experts at making that feeling pacey and interesting and constantly gripping. And yes, it's just gunning down alien monkey men, pretty much. But the way it throws the, its monkey men into different combat scenarios is really, is really breezy and gripping. And mm. <laughs> um. I don't. It's it's just so generous from the outset with a variety of things that it allows you to do. You have this, you know, an arsenal and all these tools, and the combination of any enemy types is, and the seeming sort of willfulness of the AI really makes 
the engagements feel just incredibly alive with possibility in a way which I think actually very few games since then have managed. Mm. Like it, it feels like games have also become more controlling. And I, I, I think Halo sort of was at this intersection of sort of like uh, AI and uh, and cinema where actually it's actually very freeform uh, in the way that you deal with these combat encounters despite being, you know, part of that sort of like emerging cinematic shooter genre. And like even in the opening level, you spill out from these what feel pretty creaky jungle environments um, into this open dam area with this huge facility straddling a river. And I've, I'm, I must have over the years played that countless times, you know, and it, I don't think it's ever gone the same way, mm. like at all. <laughs> like it always feels completely different. Just the way that the grunts are arrayed and their decisions of how they flank you, where they throw down shields. I mean, the fact that the enemies have exactly the same deployables you do and use them strategically with intelligence is is something that I don't think that <laughs> that many games achieve. And yeah. you know, and then you know, periodically, unexpectedly, you see this giant monkey man charging from the back ranks with a fucking gravity hammer, and you know, he's you know, if you if you don't take him out before he reaches you, he's just going to womp you. Yeah, I really like the clarity of the different. Um, threats like it's really you know you're I mean you do this in all shooters but in particularly in Halo you are grading threat levels all the time and like and when a high threat is there you're you know you are galvanized on that thing and it's really clear but it's something you've learned you know it's it's you know it's not got like glowing red kind of arrow over the top of it that you must deal with it like you've learned mm. that they are dangerous but that dangerousness is absolutely stark and i love that about it yeah yeah it's it's true even that's in fact even in its like um its set pieces uh, uh they just allow for a fairly unprecedented no hang on that's not the right word that is the precedent that is halo has <laughs> set the precedent for freedom in those kinds of encounters like it, I, I i don't know that there's been that many shooters between halo 3 for example and maybe horizon uh zero dawn where you are taking on just these uh gigantic mech beasts in with the same sort of freedom that you have and there's a there's a i don't do you remember i think it's called a scarab do you remember mm. the first time you encounter a scarab yeah you sort of rock up in this warthog, which is a, a cool Halo Jeep, and you sort of uh, turn out onto this collapsed plateau overlooking a vast crater, and there's this huge, I don't know what the fuck it is, some sort of building, some sort of future building flanking you on the other side. And you sort of skid around, and you take out all these enemies on bikes, and then you take out the siege vehicles, and then you're told there's this big blip on the radar heading your way, and there's this sort of a brief pause. And then this gigantic quadrupedal mega tank just sort of drops out of the sky, and it's the scale of it is just fucking ridiculous. And obviously the thing you do is you drive around its legs, shooting out its knees, which you would do in any game where there's a big boss, probably, <laughs> until it stumbles and then you can clamber aboard and go inside and destroy it. But actually, you can just ramp off something in your warthog and attempt to sort of slot yourself directly <laughs> into the main deck, uh, <laughs> and then you can just go in and, and blow it up. Mm. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's that's a feeling unlike anything else. Oh, no, there is, is like a level inside it? Yeah, well, not a level, no. but it is, uh, you know, there's an environment inside it. It's a mobile building. Basically. Yeah, you can run around on top of it. And um, But no, th there is a moment that is kind of more than that later in the game. It's oh, maybe a bit spoilery. 
but this is an old game. I'm going to say it. When you get two of the fucking things. Oh, yeah. So basically, <laughs> you have this one thing and you think, oh, this is kind of set PC. You know, like, that was cool. It was really good. I enjoyed that. That was amazing. But, you know, they just set it up just for this. But then, you know, and, and everything was kind of pre sort of twiddled for you. And then you get, you get two of them you've got to take down. And I remember feeling the first time, like, how the fuck am I meant to do this? And, you know, you figure it out. And that, that was one hell of a feeling. And you can learn once you know how to do it. Once you've learned a way of doing it, you can dispatch them so quick. You know, they, you know, with skill and knowledge, this game becomes something else. Mm. The flood is still shit, of course. But, you know, <laughs> what can you do? But, but, you know, by the same token, the gravity hammer is probably the most enjoyable weapon in all of gaming. The bonky stick, wow. I believe, the is what we called it. <laughs> is it. This is a remaster you're playing, right? Yeah. No, this is, I mean, they haven't remastered uh, Halo 3. I, I can't oh, okay. remember which games they've remastered. I think they've only remastered. Oh, really? It hasn't Halo got all sort of super, it hasn't got all super um, graphics, you know, super um, <laughs> things. Super graphics? Has it got the super graphics? Where's the super graphics? <laughs> you know, I don't think so. Because Reach was definitely okay. like up you know, and it looked nice. Oh, right. Uh, well, maybe that's true. Maybe they have used like, uh, well, they haven't redone the the, the textures right. uh, like they have in Halo uh, Halo One. They've actually completely kind of redone the textures okay. for Halo One. Yeah. Um, so maybe maybe they have used higher resolution textures for this, but um, I don't. Yeah, that would maybe explain the number of gigabytes. I have a I have a question. Yeah, were we right? We gave we gave this a ten mm. on edge, and we kept putting it like either at the number one or like really high end of year lists and best games of whenever. Yeah, I think we were, but not not because of the campaign specifically, although I think that's very good. It was a strong backup just, a contributing factor, but yeah. yeah. I think just uh, the entire package is just uh, astonishing at that time and set, uh, set a standard for multiplayer the way in just the, the entire infrastructure of it has been copied. I think the Halo 3 thing was um, Forge, yeah. Yeah. The design mode where you could just create your own design, you know, your own multiplayer matches with amazing breadth, your own stages, you know, sort of designing land and things. It's amazing. And I believe some of those those levels. Am I right in thinking that if you used the, the same account that you used way back on 360 days, you will get your old um, Forge worlds. I have no idea because um, Microsoft have destroyed my <laughs> old account for some reason. Uh, in some uh, period of migrating uh, uh, account credentials or matching account credentials between Windows and Xbox logins and my email, they've just decided that my original Xbox login doesn't exist anymore <laughs> and have given me uh, a crappy generic name that they've generated <laughs> very sad about that i am um, when i when i played uh, reach some things did come through from my old reach account um so i should probably have a look at halo 3 just to see what, what stupid stuff i'd done back in 2010 or whatever it was 10 <laughs> years ago oh, i'm glad to hear that though we should play it we should Shouldn't i we should. You can get the sword of Dobber out. The sword of Dobber. That was what it was. Yeah, the sword of Dobber <laughs> and the bonky stick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. God. <laughs> these are nostalgic. This is a nostalgic kind of uh, fug that I've got myself into now. 
<laughs> what else have you been playing, Tom? Uh, I have been playing Ghost of Tsushima, which is uh, Tom S. talked about a bit before. It's not on PC uh, currently. Don't know if it ever will. But it is good. I like it. <laughs> I think Tom S. said it was a, a great 7 out of 10 game. I'd go higher than 7 out of 10, actually. Um, I finished it now, the main campaign. I've cleared every outpost. Um, I've hit max level. I've got every skill in the game. I'm not going to 100% it. I'm nowhere near that. But um, definitely got my uh, monies and times worth out of it. Actually, it's not too huge coming out of like coming from Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is <laughs> I've played for a like hundreds of hours and then 20% <laughs> of the way through. Maybe. Uh, this is much more manageable. Um, and so it's a, it's a samurai game. Uh, it's about the Mongol invasion of um, this island called Tsushima, which is um, the first place they hit. And if they get through that, they're going to get to mainland Japan. And also you live there, so you don't want them to <laughs> uh, destroy it. Um, and the main thread, it's such a, I don't know if it's like, the perfect story arc for me or the worst story arc for me, but it's, you're an honorable samurai and you believe in, you know, um, uh, fighting fair and square and, and uh, facing up to people. But the arc of your character in the game is basically realizing like, but wait, stealth kills are super cool. <laughs> like, once you can do those, that's badass. You just get to murder people with no consequences. <laughs> and obviously it's a, a, a desperate time. Um, and so you can like, uh, you have like a thief friend who's luring you into like at the start of the game uh, to give you a sense of where you start as a character you're like shocked and appalled that she wants you to climb on a roof like what climb on a roof like a thief um, <laughs> and then uh, you know four hours later you're sort of mass poisoning people <laughs> setting fire to them <laughs> like oh this is fine actually um, that arc is I mean so like obviously I am um, and it's an open world game, and like a lot of these, you have a choice of how you tackle things. Um, and of course, I am always going to go the maximum stealth approach where I silently murder everybody and never get detected if I humanly can. Um, and so my arc in this game is like five minutes after I was uh, furiously resisting climbing on a rooftop, I'm uh, only ever stealth killing people, <laughs> never face anybody. Uh, and it completely contradicts what you're saying in the plot because you're saying like, well, you know, these desperate times we have to sneak around and sometimes we must do the, the dirty sneaky thing. Um, and actually I'm choosing to at every possible opportunity. Uh, I think the reason I like it a lot is um, mostly to do with stealth mechanics and also the other mechanics. <laughs> so just, just the mechanics really. But so stealth is really generous. It's really um, uh, forgiving you uh it's got the usual stealth indicator stuff where you you get to see that somebody's seeing you and you see how close they are to seeing you and there's there's grass that makes you completely invisible and all that uh but also when they do see you you all the time that the awareness is going up it's in slow motion so you've got plenty of time to try and deal with it that way and then when they do see you they will you know say something and run over to you and then even if you can't take them out quietly then you just have a full-on fight with them that doesn't necessarily sound the alarm for the whole base like in something like far cry as soon as an enemy who's seen you says anything like the whole base is on alert irrevocably mm. um here it's actually just kind of there must be some kind of radius going on like if there's someone within uh you know a few meters of them they'll hear them yell but no one else will if you just sometimes you can take out like three guys in a big sword fight and no one else in the camp heard it and you can just go back to stealth and that's a huge help it just makes stealth much more inviting 
like obviously if you if you want the challenge of uh, pure stealth um you know puzzle to solve then this doesn't check that box in the same way but actually i think even though I, stealth is my entire focus and that's all i care about um i prefer a system where if i fuck up just let me deal with this fuck up and then go back to being in stealth and then solve the mm. rest of the, the base in a stealthy way because the alternative to that is not that i you know when once the fight breaks out i think the game designers permanent delusion is that they all think that well it's going to be cool because you'll you break stealth and then you have to improvise and think on your feet and you'll invent solutions on the fly to deal with this huge flood of of enemies uh in in an all-out action sequence and uh who's that twitter account that does really slick combat gifs mm. of oh sunny legend sunny legend yeah, yeah. like that that guy is doing that nobody else is doing that <laughs> like it's <laughs> Once the fight breaks out, it's panic mode. You can't think on your feet. You can't remember what abilities you have. You have like 16 different modes of attack in this game. And you're never going to uh, remember which ones are useful here. And so while there theoretically is a cool way out of it, uh, it, it would just suck if the whole base was attacking you at that point. I much prefer that you just get to go back to stealth and then maybe another fight will break out and I'll solve that in a cool way. And it just gives you so many outside of stealth. It gives you so many ways to deal with the situation elegantly. You know, even if a sword fight does break out, this is a game with guns you're going to get shot like three times even if you do it pretty well and that just feels crap you just think oh i just failed i just fucked it up whereas in this when it's the solver breaks out it can be reasonably challenging i mean i'm playing on easy so it's not um it's less challenging than it would be but uh it's not at all unfeasible for me to take out three people without taking a single hit and it'll look cool when i do it and that I don't want to get into fights like that, but when I do, sometimes I come out of it completely clean and that feels great. And then I go back to stealth and I get to take out the whole rest of the base that way. And if uh, there is such a thing as a base-wide alarm and it's when they park their horns, <laughs> everyone has a horn, <laughs> and if they're not like immediately going to attack you, they will attempt to parp. Uh, but even then, like the first part of the parp is not an alarm. <laughs> like It's a loud horn and the whole rest of the base, I guess, technically is hearing it. But unless they finish the full part, they're like, ah, that's just Jeff. He's just worried over nothing. <laughs> if, he, look, if he was in real trouble, he would have done a full part. <laughs> so um, even when that happens, that's still not, you know, Far Cry judges you for that. That's an alarm. And if, you, if an alarm goes off when you're taking out an outpost, there's no longer any finesse reward you can possibly get for doing that outpost. You'll just get the basic reward and you know you've missed out on two different um, finesse rewards you could have got. This doesn't judge you on that. And I thought I liked being judged on that because I do get a lot of satisfaction from doing Far Cry outposts undetected. But actually, when you take that away, like I said, it just makes me so much more okay with a sort of slightly shonky playthrough where I made some mistakes, but I just those mistakes just flow into recoveries and then I take out the rest of the base in a stealthy way and feel good about it. And the alternative to that is that I reload a save game, right? I just go back to the last checkpoint. That's what I do in Far Cry. That's what I did in The Last of Us. Uh, ultimately, if if failing stealth spills out into a messy thing, then I'm going to load an early save game, which is still, I still get to do it the stealthy way. You haven't successfully punished me, really. I'm just having to repeat some of the stealth, which is not that much fun. And a reload is like, it's time travel. You're completely breaking the thread of, of your story of, of um, how you're playing. And those experiences become disjointed and it sort of reduces your immersion. It's If it's wherever possible, it's way better to have it all flow as one sort of um, long thing. Mm. 
I do some of my screw ups are um, <laughs> less elegant. Uh, I struggle with the controls a little bit because there's just a lot to remember. And so there is, and I'm an idiot for ever trying it, but there is a way to manually, stylishly put away your sword. If you swipe, I can't even tell you right now which one it is, either left or right on the touchpad, you sort of uh, put your sword away with a flourish, like you shake the blood off it and then you know slide it away. But sliding in the other direction plays your flute. <laughs> so if I take out like three enemies in a really cool way, and it's just like total badass, you know, proper samurai movie scene where I did everything perfectly, perfect dodges, slow mo counters, everybody dies, and I just whip out a flute. And go, <laughs> <laughs> Seems very apt. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one is is that the button for photo mode is. Um, it's either D-pad left or right. And the button for loudly whistle for your horse is the other one of those things. <laughs> and so a bunch of times I've been like sneaking through the bushes thinking, man, this looks really cool. I want a, I want a screenshot of this. Try and do a photo mode and then just loudly whistle. <laughs> and then all of the Mongols hear that. They all look at me. And then also a horse rocks up and rides into the grass to exactly where I am. <laughs> uh, dude, not now, not now. <laughs> that's, a, that's a full part moment. You've got your... <laughs> <laughs> It looks quite a pretty yeah, game as well. Oh yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, Have you been playing uh, in the black and white mode? No, I think that would be a mistake. Um, I've heard that that is not done with any particular artistry. Like, there's a film grain effect and stuff, but ultimately, like to ah. if you're actually making a black and white movie, there's a bunch of things you do to to make uh, colors kind of come out differently uh, mm. in terms of the shades they translate to that this game is apparently not doing. I haven't even tried it because the the whole joy of it is the colors like it's so so every area has its you know its own color grading and it's a beautiful you know there's a forest that's just kind of all gold all the leaves are just brilliant gold and it's carpeted with those leaves and um even all the way through pretty much until almost the very end you're discovering like striking new areas that have their own feel and vibe to it it's a really um open world that just like feels packed full of of beautiful um distinct areas and I'm coming to it after Far Cry 5, which I kind of revisited recently. No, sorry, not 5, New Dawn, the, the, one, the sort of spin-off of Far Cry 5. Um, and I think the, the reason I don't like that game as much as I should, given that how much I like the systems, is that the world is just kind of nothingy. It's just a bit of America. Technically, it's post-apocalyptic, but all that means is some of the trees are brown and some of the deers are pink. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I will say that Tsushima does its missions are not really up to scratch. Like they, some of them are good uh, in terms of the, I, I like some of the characters and I, um, I uh, was interested to hear their stories and stuff. And uh, some of the writing is pretty good, but the actual like mission scripting feels like it's uh, from about 10 to 15 years ago. It feels like the early Assassin's Creed games where you get those missions to tail somebody and then they fail you for getting too far from the target, even though you can clearly see the target. Um, I had one that I failed because I was supposed to follow the woman and I got on my horse to follow the woman like a bit late and it says, you're losing the woman, 10 seconds to <laughs> failure. And so I galloped, um, you know, you can make your horse basically horse sprint, <laughs> uh, uh, galloped after her, but she, cause she's an NPC who's like, I guess she's flagged as your companion. Um, 
she matches her speed to yours. So when I gallop to catch up with her, she accelerates to the exact same speed. So I cannot close the distance. <laughs> and literally, I just gallop after her for 10 full seconds. There is no way to get an inch closer to her. And then it fails the mission. <laughs> it's like, Jesus oh, Christ. <laughs> and there's a bunch of stuff like that. It just feels like, you know, four stealth sections, like this place, for this particular mission, if you get seen ever, we instantly fail a mission. Um, uh, all of the cutscenes are unskippable, which sucks. Um, oh, wow. NPCs, nice. NPCs. if you get too far ahead of them, when you know where you're going, they stop because then you're not close to them and then they yell at you to hurry up when you're actually further ahead than they are. So um, apparently it's made by a team of like 100 people, which is very, very small for a game yeah. of this size. So I think that's mm. that's probably where it shows is just that um, they don't have the, maybe don't have like the institutional knowledge that a, a juggernaut like Ubisoft has at this point. Like Ubisoft used to be really bad at this and they got much better in the last like 10-ish years. I would play it if I had a PS4, but I have to um, <laughs> do with Horizon, which is coming out. Oh, yeah. Tomorrow? That is. Yeah. That's better. Horizon's better. <laughs> <laughs> have you been... I know, I know you've come to this podcast swollen with takes. Tom. Are there any more um, Are there any more takes that you wish to squeeze yeah. off? If, if the world can take it, I do have one more. Um, yeah. Uh, just a quick one with uh, Hades. Um, hmm. because that is a game that I played. It's an early access still. And I played it a long time ago, like more than a year ago, I think. Um, and uh, liked it at times, but got very frustrated every time I died. And I, it, I was addicted to it, but it was making me so angry when I died. I had to uninstall it. <laughs> like I had to force myself to uninstall it. Like I want to play it again, but I really, I know now it's not healthy for me and I need to uninstall it. Um, and I wanted to go back to it when it was finished because in large part because in the meantime they've announced a god mode which is like an easy mode uh, it doesn't make you invincible but it's their take on just making the game easier and i was going to wait for 1.0 but then folks in our discord would just talk about this game all the time and i was starting to feel like i wanted to be in on that conversation so and it's it's close to 1.0 there's a date for it i can't remember when it is exactly but like within a month i think um and so i figured it's not going to change dramatically before then might as well jump in now and the God mode is weird. It does help, but there's some strange decisions about how it works. So it's just 20% less damage you take. So uh, that's across the board, all damage types, and it doesn't affect anything else. So enemies are still just as aggressive. All the timing windows for dodging things and everything are exactly the same. The amount of damage you do is exactly the same, um, which is good because you know, the, the hope for a mode like this is it teaches you to play the game properly and then eventually you could graduate out of it and, and play the real game. And it helped with me, definitely. I just started to get further and see more of the game, which is what I wanted out of it. Like, I don't want to be, just be stuck in World 1 forever because I suck at it. Um, but then the strange thing about it is every single time you die, that damage resistance goes up by 2%. And 2% is small enough that if you're really struggling, like if 20% is just not enough for you, that's kind of... Uh, a slow rate of it getting easier. Like if you play with 20% damage resistance and it's way, way too hard, what you want to do is bump it up to like 40% damage resistance or 30 at least yeah. um, in order to actually feel a difference. So you can't do that. And then you also can't stop it. <laughs> like it just keeps on going up no matter how well you do, like unless you literally win the entire run, which is quite a, a feat uh, in this game. Um, you know, I'm getting to the final world now to just before the final boss and dying then. And when I die then, it increases the damage resistance. I'm like, no, I'm doing well now. Like, this is about my comfort <laughs> I don't level. I don't anymore. want it to get any easier. <laughs> and it's like, 
it's like the the parenting technique of like you catch your kids smoking and then you force them to finish the pack of cigarettes like on the spot. <laughs> oh you like cigarettes fucking smoke them all oh you want the game easier we'll see how easy it is now it's getting easier all the time <laughs> if you go and back to the um, if you go back to the normal school level you will be shocked by just yeah everything yeah so i, d- I like don't know what my options are now because i think i can turn god mode off i'm pretty sure um because the whole game has loads of persistence. You're unlocking things in the in the home base. Um, there's mm. a story that's unfolding in the home base. You're permanently upgrading your character. You're unlocking new weapons. Uh, I can't imagine they take that away from you if you turn God Mode off. So I assume I can just turn God Mode off and then just play the game as is, but with these helps in place. But I don't think I can reduce God Mode. Like What I want to do is it's at like 44% now. I'm almost half invulnerable, and I don't need it anymore. I get through World 1 without taking a hit, usually. Um, and... So I, I want some God mode, but not this much God mode, and I don't really know how to do it. Like, it seems, if it was me, I think I would want it to be, you get more damage resistance if you die early, and less or none if you get quite far. If you're getting to world four, you're fine. You don't need any more help. Um, and for some reason, it's this very, like, uh, insistent system that keeps on making it easier and easier, whether you like it or not. <laughs> I haven't been back to it for ages. I kind of, I didn't, I mean, I, it might be that it's a bit easier. I mean, I've actually, you'd know about it because God mode would have started you off not far off the um, the normal difficulty. But I, I mean, I got, I got into world two on normal difficulty without too much difficulty, but I'd be ground down, but I really should go back and see what else has been added. Were you surprised about anything else that's um, become part of the game since you played it before? Um, there's a gun now. <laughs> they just gave him a goddamn gun. <laughs> uh, the rest of the weapons for anyone who doesn't, isn't familiar with the game is, you know, sword and bow and um, spear and stuff. And then the last one is just a gun. Um, and I remember watching the Hades documentary that Noclip have been doing. Um, mm. I got to see their internal discussions about this gun, and that it's it's so funny what game developers uh, agonize over behind the scenes because it's really hard apparently to animate somebody running and firing a gun at the same time like or maybe it's just with their system that's that's an especially difficult thing and so there was an internal debate about like couldn't he hover while he fires the gun like all the time he's firing the gun he's flying and somebody else quite reasonably asking i don't see what the connection is between the gun and the ability to fly <laughs> and then they're like well is, is there any precedent for the fact that zagreus can fly isn't there a moment when you do this move that he kind of hovers for longer than is realistic so technically it's, it's canon that he can fly and therefore he can fly while firing the gun so it's easier to animate because then his legs can just drift <laughs> Uh, they didn't end up going with that. The way it works in the end is you can't you can't move while firing, <laughs> which solves it, I guess. Um, That's strange because I that find... would be similar to the bow. Then, maybe you can. Yeah. So, did you the use bow. the bow? Um, I didn't think I'd like the bow, and I don't remember enough about it other than I remember I thinking, I assuming <laughs> I wouldn't like it, but then I ended up all of the weapons for me. Um, you know, I, it, every weapon has been my favourite weapon while I'm using it, and then the next weapon, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't want to try it, and then I love that too. So that's been. <laughs> I um, I don't get on with a bow at all. It seems like mm. I have to I have to charge up and wait and get the timing right in order to do about the same amount of damage I would have done just by hitting something with a spear, which I can mash as fast as I like. I used the um, the alternate um, uh, attack for that one. There was like a sort of like a high damage one with that, and then I just I don't know what the hell I had going on, whatever kind of <laughs> sub weapons or however it works but yeah like I, I remember that i didn't really do much charging up because the 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 secondary attack was just insanely good 
Yeah, the second effect's like a spread, isn't it? You could spin and fire yeah, a volume right. of shots in, a, in an arc. It. And I did, I definitely preferred that because it's instant and it hits multiple targets. But I found when I tried to specialize in it, I just fell behind the damage curve and I just got to the point where it's just taking a. Right. I got I got to a boss and it was just, this is going to take me half an hour to kill this boss, even if I dodge everything. Yeah. And I just had to give up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do like, yeah, a lot of the weapons I really like. The spear just seems insane. Like, I think the spear is longer range than the gun. <laughs> like, the gun yeah. does have a limited range. It's bullets just die off after a while. And the spear goes pretty much the length of the screen. It's enormous. <laughs> and it's rapid fire. It hits everything it goes through. One of the upgrades for it, uh, there are these just weapon upgrades you get that are different from the, the boons. But um, uh, you get that, the Daedalus hammer, and it changes the way your attack works. Um, and one of them is just, now there's just three spears. Every time you attack, you just hit with three spears. And I also had deflect on my normal attacks. So that means all three spears, they just fill the screen and every attack they <laughs> intercept gets reflected back at their owner. And it just seems crazy. Like there's definitely huge power differentials in my builds. Like sometimes I just get one where just nothing can touch me. And um, other times, like with the bow, especially in the gun, I just seem to not be able to get anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Shall we do the questions from the questions? I think we should. I think that's exactly what we should do. And also a clear definition of where the questions come from. <laughs> Tim writes, Dear Cream and Crumble, Recently I've been playing Control and then, because it's 2020 and I have nothing better to do, watching somebody else play it on YouTube. Watching someone else navigate through the challenges I already knew fairly well made me realise just how subtle and clever the tutorialization is in the game. A couple of particular examples stand out. Early in the game, the player gets the ability to telekinetically pull and throw objects in the environment. They're transported to the tutorial dimension to try it out. <laughs> to finish the level, the player must grab a rock from the ground and throw it at a target on the wall. Later in the real world, the player has to plug giant power cables into the sides of various machines. The game doesn't have to explain this mechanic because the player has already done the task of throwing a thing at a wall. Later on, the player might find a disused lift shaft leading to a seemingly inaccessible area. If they jump straight down, they will die, but there are various ledges on the way down that provide a safe route if the player spots them. If they don't, a story mission later in the game takes the player to another lift, which is out of order for MacGuffin reasons. The player then has to jump down the much more obvious ledges and pipes to reach the bottom safely. Armed with this experience, the game assumes the player can now figure out how to get down the other lift shaft without prompting. Control shows a lot of respect for the player by presenting challenges in one context and trusting them to apply their experience to the other. Other games would rely on quest markers, waypoints, or button prompts to achieve this, but Control is smarter about it. What other games have interesting or unique tutorial mechanics? Are the days of being shouted at by an army man on an assault course gone, or is there still room for traditional tutorials and games? Yours redactedly, Tim. He also adds, P.S. Before jumping down the lift shaft, Jesse says to herself, Guess I'll have to do this the old-fashioned way. Did buildings in the olden days have massive empty vertical shafts in the middle of them before some bright spark thought to put in a lift car? <laughs> or invent one. Well, well, now this shaft makes a lot more sense. <laughs> I, I think they're kind of, you know, different. I think mechanics or things you do in games that are quite prescriptive, like this is the button you use to mantle or this is the button you use to fire your gun or reload of a, you know, they seem best suited to someone telling you <laughs> because 
you know, it's it's too boring to to be kind of like hinted at. I think like I think it's sort of more interesting mechanics that benefit from those more subtle approaches. Yeah, there was um, an interesting uh, case study of this um, a few years back with Cuphead, where I think it was um, a journalist from VentureBeat was um, mm. one of the first videos of the game. I guess was was um, him playing the tutorial. And he gets very stuck at a certain point where um, I don't even remember what the puzzle was exactly. He's just trying to jump over something and he, his jump isn't high enough and he's supposed to figure something out. And I think it was Zach Gage did a really interesting thread um, basically explaining why the tutorial failed to sort of onboard him to this. And it's because up until that point, the tutorial just told him what to do at every stage. It was do this, do this, do this. And that just puts your brain in the follow instructions mode. And then the the instruction for this challenge that it was on was also sounded like a do this, just jump over this wall. Uh, but actually, it needed him to think about what he was doing and and you know combine things he'd already learned to realize there was a there was a trick to it. Hmm. And I try and bear that in mind when making tutorials now that that the do this is a different brain mode to solve this. And uh, once we've told you just controls and really basic stuff, we want to get into a solve this mode and also make sure the player knows they're being asked to solve this. So just go open-ended and um, make sure, I think I've even used the words like figure out a way to X in a tutorial. Um, yeah, just to make sure tell people knows. to put them in the right frame of mind. Yeah. And there's um, an approach to tutorials I think is really cool uh, that I've only seen in a mock-up video by James Benson, uh, the animator, who comes up a lot on this podcast, actually, <laughs> who uh, he was doing a sort of pitch video for a game about capsule colliders. Um, uh, capsule colliders are like what most video game protagonists are underneath, <laughs> like secretly. Um, it's just a very convenient way to simplify the collision on something. Um, and uh, his idea for a game was like, well, if, if this is how they work underneath anyway, why don't we make it look like capsule colliders as well? So everyone's just basically big upright pills. Um, and because he's an animator, he can make those do amazing things and squish and slice in two and, and all this other stuff. But his when he mocked up what the tutorial for this game would look like, you're in a crowd of these things in an obstacle course. And as you are trying facing the obstacle, um, all these other capsules are slamming into it and bouncing over it and... Uh, uh, getting crushed or um, basically all of them are either failing the tutorial or succeeding the tutorial and so the most of them fail like you can see what they're doing wrong and then every now and mm. then one of them does it right and successfully jumps over the hoop or squats under the um, the bar or you know realizes how to walk across this tightrope thing and uh, I, obviously I haven't played this because it's a non-interactive mock-up but it seems like a really good direction to go because you don't feel like you're being told what to do. It feels like your insight to observe, like, oh, look, that, that, that's what works. I should do that. Uh, even though it's still completely didactic, there's one thing to do, and the game is basically telling you to do it. Telling them in this way just feels a lot more sort of organic and, and player-driven, and I really mm. like that. Yeah, it's really nice. Hmm. Warren writes, Dear Creating Crowbar, I've recently been enjoying Thousand Threads, an aesthetically striking game about doing favours and resolving disputes among dynamic AI-controlled NPCs in pretty forests and plains, while occasionally luring wild predators to attack thieves in order to recover stolen goods, <laughs> or desperately murdering robbers who got angry that you stopped them from robbing someone else and covering up the evidence. <laughs> I was surprised to see uh, it described on Twitter by a few folks as a strand game. 
And there seems to be conflicting ideas about what this means. It seems it originally meant asynchronous multiplayer elements through which players could assist one another, one another, a la Death Stranding. But it appears to be broadening to mean game where you deliver mail and otherwise mediate other characters' interactions. <laughs> I'm not sure what to make of this genre label. And so I turn to you. What is a Strand game? And what value does the label have for discussing games? Warren, PS Thousand Threads really is a lovely. A lovely. Hmm. I um I think that a strand is something that one can only come to after having fallen out of a tree and being attacked by ten bees at once. <laughs> <laughs> that was a reference. Story. That was the news. Yeah, we missed that, that was news. the news. <laughs> it was yesterday. We could have news. <laughs> it was just that one headline phrased it as as. Um... Hideo Kojima was attacked by 10 bees before becoming a game designer, which seemed to establish a causal link as if. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think that was, um, yeah. And I think that, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, like Strand. I mean, isn't it, isn't it possible that somebody was saying this is a Strand game as a pun because it's called Thousand Threads? Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Otherwise, please, please don't make Strand games a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it... <laughs> My impression of the discourse was was that it's something Kojima said, and everyone's being slightly mocking about it when they talk about it. Like you know, you know, he's, he's oh, declared he's invented a genre, and we're all like, oh yeah, there's strand games now, is there? I mean, so there there isn't any asynchronous multiplayer stuff in Thousand Strands, certainly as far as I've seen. Um, uh, and Thousand the genre, I mean, oh god, yeah, damn it, <laughs> it is a strand game. Um, <laughs> It, it is it is about laboriously trekking <laughs> and so that's a uh, a common thread if you will uh but uh to be honest the main thing i want to say is that he reminded me that you can throw bait at near things just to encourage predators to attack them <laughs> and that's a, a plausible deniability way of uh, taking out your enemies uh and that's a genre we need to explore more <laughs> <laughs> no more thoughts on this you've wrung me dry <laughs> well, in that case, those are all the questions that we have time for on this particular episode of the Crate and Crowbar. If you'd like to send us more questions, you can do so at questions at crateandcrowbar.com or you can tweet us at Crate and Crowbar. All these recordings are uploaded as videos to YouTube where you can find other things by us. The address for that is youtube.com slash crowbar. Thanks to our lovely Patreon backers. You can back us as well at patreon.com slash crowbar, or you can simply join our wonderful Discord community. Uh, they're all excellent people, the link for which is on our website, crowbar.com. That's the entire podcast. Uh, I'm Marsh Davis. I'm Alex Wiltshire. I'm Tom Francis. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks. Thanks everybody. everybody. <laughs> <laughs>